growth has changed into into a place where now we haven't had a brand new marketing channel since 2015. Before that, we were getting brand new efficiencies like every quarter, um, let alone every other quarter, right? Um, and all of a sudden, we're living in this world where like growth is not, it can't just come from being good at acquisition. It's almost as if you have to be good at acquiring customers just to survive now. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Patrick Campbell, who is a CEO at ProfitWell, founder and CEO of ProfitWell, which is a suite of tools that plug right into your subscription management system and provide turnkey solutions to reducing your churn, optimizing your pricing, and ensuring your revenue recognition is audit-proof. ProfitWell's flagship metrics product, also powers the subscription financial metrics for over 20,000 subscription companies. It's free and it takes less than five minutes to set up, seriously. And prior to ProfitWell, Patrick led strategic initiatives for a Boston-based Gemvara and was an economist at Google and was part of the U.S. intelligence community. So uh, Patrick, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to, to chat and hopefully be helpful. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you will. Um, most of our listeners have heard me talk a lot with SaaS companies about how to improve marketing at the acquisition stage. And I think mm. most, a, a lot of time and attention and resources and budget, especially paid media budget, is really focused on acquiring users with a certain uh, CAC, customer acquisition cost. And at that point, once those users are acquired, I think there's... Uh, probably not enough effort that goes into lifecycle marketing. And, and uh, this is what I'd like to explore with you. So can, can we start off by just uh, how, how do you all see the differences between um, acquisition marketing and lifecycle marketing at ProfitWell? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny, like those, like all of our terms in marketing constantly get redefined. Right. And I think, yeah. uh, that's because marketers be marketers, right? Like that's what they're, they're trying to do. So I think, um, it's it's actually uh, it's not a tough question, but it's it's kind of a tough question because I think for us, like I guess acquisition marketing is is essentially the the you know depending on how you want to look at it, like prior to that first touch, to that first touch, to that conversion, uh, that initial conversion, I guess, and then theoretically, lifecycle marketing is is kind of everything after that. Um, the way we kind of think about our business personally. Um, is acquisition, monetization, and retention, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you acquire a customer, you you monetize them over time, um, and then you're obviously trying to retain them as as much as humanly possible. And I think that one thing that uh, HubSpot did a few years ago that you know is debatable amongst the marketing community was kind of create the flywheel. You know, that's kind mm -hmm. of you know acquire, monetize. I think they say delight or something and retain. And I think that growth yeah. now is so much of, you know, having that flywheel turn as quickly and as, as, as largely as possible. And so, 
yeah, that's the uh, that's that's kind of how we look at it. So not sure that's a really direct answer to your question, but that's a uh, no. That's, that's great. That's great because yeah. I um I, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these uh, elements of what we call lifecycle marketing, and I want to isolate uh, churn rate. And I was I was listening to to your podcast recently, and I remember there were there were three different distinct uh, concepts about about uh, life cycle marketing. One was the active churn rate, so the people that were making conscious decisions to cancel for for different reasons, and managing that process. Uh, the second was was involuntary churn, which is really just a payment failure. Uh, most often, that's credit card payment failures. And then the, th- the third was around expansion revenue, which is just, you could think of that as maybe opportunity cost in a way, um, but understanding when and how is the right time to, to upsell people. Mm. Um, how do you all try to, try to get your, your customers to think about these, these different things? And uh, are these the, the primary categories that you're looking at when it comes to um, really just optimizing, uh, optimizing churn rate and and maximizing ongoing lifetime value? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the the big thing you have to keep in mind is that um, as operators, even marketers, uh, we're very wired to kind of go after, really as humans, go after the path of least resistance, right? Like what is the path to, to what needs to happen? And then on top of that, we have a team that is all about growth, 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 right? And Unfortunately, if you look back at a lot of the advice we get, it's very, um, very kind of filtered through a lens of like 2002 to 2015. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is in that stage of growth, um, everything was about like, just get to the new channel, just get as efficient as you can in the new channel. Um, oh, find out the new channel. Oh, they changed this channel. Go back and fix whatever you need to do. Right. Well, growth has changed quite a bit. Um, growth has changed, and we've already started talking about this, but growth has changed into into a place where um, now we haven't had a brand new marketing channel since 2015. Um, before that, we were getting brand new efficiencies like every quarter, um, let alone every other quarter, right? Um, and all of a sudden, we're living in this world where like growth is not it can't just come from being good at acquisition. It's almost as if you have to be good at acquiring customers just to survive now. Um, And if you have a great sales team, great marketing and a good space, everything's great. But the problem is, is that everyone and their mother can start a company, a website, et cetera, um, and start, you know, sucking up oxygen, even if they're not as direct competitor to you um, in your spaces. So, Long story short, what with that context, what I try to tell people and and particularly like marketers and, and just growth people in general is like, you have to look at these other areas and then start with things that are very paths of least resistance. So if you're a um, if you're a business that gets a majority of your payments, your revenue through credit cards, like that's how you charge your customers, um, probably one of the easiest things to attack because it's purely mechanical. It's not like they didn't like a feature or they had a bad support experience or something like that. It's just their credit card failed. Uh, typically, it's about 20 to 40% of lost customers. It's a huge portion of loss, um, but we don't optimize it because we're so focused on, oh, well, we need the next feature or we need this like new onboarding, things that are super, super important, but that type of research and that type of value when it comes to retention, let alone all the acquisition stuff I just said, that takes quarters or years to figure out, right? It just takes mm-hmm. so long. Whereas marketers can use like basic 
basic email drip campaigns to take that 20 to 40% down by 10%. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of where I recommend starting because you can use a lot of the marketing tactics that you've already learned and just kind of apply it to those folks. And you're, you're not going to get everybody back. Some people, that's their excuse to leave. Um, but most businesses, they're recovering, you know, if 100 people have their payment fail, they're only recovering about 30 to 35 of those folks. Um, they should be recovering about 70, right? And, and, and it's not hard to get to 50, let alone to, you know, 40, um, which would be better where they are now. And so that's kind of where I recommend, like, you're going to get a really good bang for your buck. There's a bunch of other things too, but I think it's just like starting with the path of least resistance is really important because all of a sudden you're going to get wins and then the whole team around you is going to be like, oh, we should invest in here more. Um, and I think 10 years ago, just to kind of close this out, like 10 years ago, I'd be like, no, you just need to like focus more here. Stop focusing as much on acquisition. And it's like, I don't, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think the numbers support that. I think you're still going to spend 60% of your budget, um, a little bit more if you're a consumer company, a little bit less if you're B2B on sales and marketing. Um, and you probably are going to have to spend more, but you got to spend more than zero on retention and, and more than zero on pricing and your monetization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned at the start of that, that there hasn't been a, a new channel since 2015. What what was that? Cha- what was that last channel that you're referring to? Yeah, and technically, um, technically TikTok. Uh, I, I I'm not. Mm-hmm. Sh- we're, we're kind of at the point where it's a new channel, um, or you know, it's a channel that you should have been you know working on you know a year ago if you're kind of going after greenfield channels. Uh, 2015 was actually Snapchat. Um, okay. And that's not even really applicable to B2B. LinkedIn was a little while before that. And, and obviously these, these, you know, these companies have improved the ability to, to acquire customers, but also all everyone, it's no longer new. So you don't get the greenfield look of like, oh, like I'm the first one on here. I'm paying a penny a click for Google AdWords or like something like mm-hmm. that. So yeah. Even before the, that, you're having massive organic reach that I think you can totally. still get some of that on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, remember, I mean, there's there's people out there that remember. Um, I I'm I'm not this old, but I, I know of them. Uh, it's uh, people who basically were you know getting ninety nine percent open rates on on email, right? Because yeah. people treated it like actual physical mail, and it was one of those things where it was like, well, it's so rude for me not to open my mail, right? I must open all of my emails, right? So it's just one of those things where like these these markets change, and I think the problem is is that um, barring like a brand new screen, which I know like metaverse and stuff is working on, but that's, you know, a ways away, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. The surface area for acquiring customers is, is kind of spent, right? And so all of a sudden yeah. it's like, you do need to look for those greenfield channels, but we're just, we're all optimizing the old stuff. Like that's what ABM yeah. is. ABM's great, but you talk to an enterprise sales guy who's been in the game for 25 years and he or she'll go, yeah, we, this is this is just what we do 15 years ago until now. Thing. Like it's yeah, it's not like a brand repackage. new thing, right? Um, which is fine. Like we can repackage stuff. It's just um, that's why it's so important that you look at the companies that are growing really quickly, and it's it's they're the ones who are going after all three of these levers are improving. Um, mm-hmm. Not all at the same rate. They're still investing so much more money in acquiring customers, but they're mm-hmm. also investing in retention and, and monetization. Yeah, well, I, I think also. These channels, especially paid search, uh, but really all of all of Google Ads, uh, Facebook, and other paid social, they're becoming very, really efficient as marketplaces. And when you're, especially if you're in a competitive category, your customer acquisition cost is is a, is, is a relatively narrow window. I mean, given your product market fit, 
And you can optimize to a certain degree, you can scale to a certain degree, but at some point, you've got to look at the other side of the coin, which is lifetime value, because a lot of times, yeah. whether or not you're raising money or or not, if you're bootstrapped, um, and, and we've seen in the VC world, a lot of VCs want to see a ratio of LTV to CAC. And, and the, yeah. the, the most common one that I've come across is three to one. So <laughs> at some point, yeah, and I, I don't know, that seems to be the magic number these days. Yeah. But at some point, you've got a certain product and, and there's a certain product market fit. There's a certain amount of search demand that's out there. Um, you're, you're reaching, you're reaching your addressable market really efficiently. Your, your CAC can't be dramatically reduced further unless, unless there's a revolutionary change to the product or something big happens hmm. perhaps on the product side. And if you need to keep scaling, I think you have to look at how do we improve LTV And the first place to attack that is, is the leaky bucket. I mean, starting starting with credit card failure and voluntary churn, but then also analyzing why people are vol- voluntarily quitting, and then other ways that you might be missing out on upsells that are that are obvious when people are ready to they're ready to pay more, or they're ready for for some sort of an upgrade, but they need to be nudged at the right time. And I think that seems to be where the where you all are really focused. Is that right? Yeah, I think to take take a step back there. Um, I think if you're in a subscription business, you have, you have to understand like a subs- like the beauty of the subscription model is that the relationship with the customer is baked into how you make money. And I know that sounds really trite, but it's like, that's the, it's the first commerce model in the history of humankind that did that. Like, if you remember back to like 150 years ago, there was one store in the town and that's that. You, that's the only place you could go get something, right? And then if you remember, like fifty to sixty years ago, you know, there's there's tons of stores on your block, and they're all competing, like with coupons and things like that, to try to get you in or offerings and stuff like that, right? Now, every single month, a subscription or recurring revenue business doesn't necessarily have to be a subscription, but a recurring revenue type product. All of a sudden, like it's implied each month that that person's there. Like you start from a place of they're a customer and then maybe they cancel, right? Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because the LTV point that you made, it's LTV is a function of retention and monetization, your price, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most important things that that's how you should be measuring, in my opinion, mostly everything, right? What is the LTV by channel? What is the LTV by sales rep? What is the LTV by um, you know cohort? These types of things. And the reason to measure that is because all of a sudden, like we get caught up a lot of times in like, I would argue like more inside or outside sales products um, that are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, or tens of thousands of dollars a month, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have this really, really cool, you know, sales program because we're at the last few weeks of the quarter and we want one of those backward bending curves in order to hit our number, right? So let's discount, mm-hmm. discount, 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 right? Well, it's kind of like having a relationship that's really trite, right? If someone's only coming and, you know, going on a date with you because you have really good tickets to some sporting event or something like that, like they might not really like you for you, right? And therefore they're going to churn, you know, to use an overused metaphor at some point you know, down the road. So sometimes it's okay to like wait um, for that customer to, to, to be okay with you or to actually want your product or value your product a couple months later after they get that need, right? Mm-hmm. So long and short of it, like I think, we as a business ourselves, so ProfitWell, you kind of told, talked about in the beginning, our whole thing is this revenue automation concept, which is like we, and the reason that 
we want that concept is that you should be able to plug your billing system, Stripe, Zora, or Curly, whatever you're using, into ProfitWell and not only get all of your metrics for free, which we do, but also um, automatically increase your revenue. Now, automatically is great because I think that obviously there's going to be so much need to focus on your customer and your product as the, the market gets more and more competitive. But it's also because monetization and retention are these areas that people don't focus enough on. So if I make you kind of like, if I have to convince you that it's important and then convince you to use my product, those are just too high of you know hurdles. So we started attacking things like credit card failure and uh, term optimization, all these things. When, when I say automatically, it's not like automation of you know 10 years ago where HubSpot gives you a bunch of things that you have to toggle with I, I literally mean you just plug it in like give us a logo and it just does its job um mm -hmm. and after you put a couple of parameters in but um yeah that's 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 why i think ltv is so important but also why like i think um in, at least in the subscription space like you have to look at that whole cycle of a particular customer not just the beginning yeah can i, I assume you all are using your dog fooding your own product and um yeah are you using it any differently in any kind of way or, um, or is yeah, it it's a good question? Yeah. Um, we normally, uh, we, we normally hack our product a bit when we're trying to get the thing we're building ready to go, if that makes sense. So like, for yeah. example, um, you know, we, we ourselves were, we wanted, um, so what we do, uh, just to explain a little bit more is, is we have this free metrics product that you talked about and I've talked about now, and um, it's used by a ton of different companies, thousands and thousands of companies. And what's kind of amazing about it is um, our, our, it's, we have so many people using it, not because it's free, but because of the accuracy of the data. Um, anyone who's tried to make like financial data, like picture perfect accurate knows that like getting to 90% is typically pretty easy um, accuracy. Getting to like 95 is very much harder. And then getting to 99, let alone 100% is like, mm -hmm dang near impossible. We've been working on it for years and we still find bugs, right? And so mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where that that was kind of like why, you know, we we had a lot of value. And then I bring that up because all of a sudden we were like, oh, this is really accurate data for ourselves. We'd really like this in HubSpot, in Salesforce, in, you know, other places so that when we're doing all of this like other reporting, um, we could, you know, properly, you know, take care of things. And so, you know, we've hacked our, our, our product to do that before we ended up building something called RevConnect, which is just date native integrations with, you know, some of these tools and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think the other thing is, is like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like some parts of our business very much apply to, to our profitable products. Um, the metrics product, obviously our retained product on retaining customers. Um, other parts of our business, like, we do pricing. Our pricing software works with um, companies that are typically, you know, have pricing. Their products are less than five hundred bucks a month, um, and a lot of our our customers, their products are less than a hundred dollars a month, right? Um, well, our pricing product costs six figures, right? So it's a very different, you know, type of product. So we do use our product, but we have to use it in a little bit of a different way because, um, you know, we're attacking things just a little, little bit differently. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious as on your opinion as to how, how most people even come up with their initial price and how scientific, how scientific of an approach do they take, especially early on to pricing? And what are some of the, you know, what are some of the pitfalls or the most common mistakes that people make or overlook when yeah. establishing that monthly subscription price? Um, yeah. So I would say it doesn't really matter if it's early on or, or later or in the whatever, business yeah. or whenever, uh, there, there's not a lot of science going into how people do pricing. Um, yeah. there are, there are a lot of exceptions there, there that I could name like companies that are very good at, um, 
you know, structuring things or very good at like doing customer development. I think customer development or customer research, just to, you know, use some common parlance, um, is a very, um, it's not the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is to launch a new ad campaign, is to ship a new feature, right? Well, the problem is, is that, you know, we, we've gotten to a point where launching a new ad campaign or shipping a feature is faster than ever, but everyone it has that speed. So all of a sudden it's like, you know, we're not measuring twice cutting once. We're kind of just like cutting and then, oh, that didn't work. Let's just cut another board, you know, that type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where if you measured a little bit, you know, you would not only like who you're selling to, um, what they care about, um, where their willingness to pay is, these types of things. Um, you not only can set up an efficient funnel, but you also can like make sure you're, you know, having great pricing, right? So, um, and and I think that in the earliest of stages, there's too much fixation on the number. Um, like I, I find, you know, when early stage startups talk to me, they sometimes are like, oh, um, we're looking for the, are we $10 or are we $11, you know, in terms of a price point, which is just mm-hmm. honestly a huge waste of time. Like in the earliest of days, days, you just want to know, are you a $10 product? Are you a $100 product? Are you a $10,000 product? Um, and then the most important things to figure out in the early stages are one, who the heck you're selling to, even if it's like a little bit more, you know, general. Um, and then two, like how you're going to charge. And when I say how you're going to charge, I mean, um, per user, per hundred visits, per mm-hmm. screen. Um, and there's lots of different ways you can, you can ba- bundle those things together. But if you can figure out what's called your pricing metric or your value metric, as we like to refer to it, mm-hmm. and then you figure out like who the heck you're selling to, over time, you'll figure out all the other aspects of monetization. And I think too many people don't look at monetization as like an ongoing effort. They look at monetization as like, oh, we just do it once and then we'll revisit it. And it's like, no, it's a huge growth lever. Um, But you have to, like all growth levers, you have to develop it over time, especially as your business changes. Yeah. Okay. Let's get get right back into this concept of value-based pricing. I think that's what you touched on a minute ago is having pricing that has the flexibility to scale as people as people utilize the product more either through using more features or through sharing it with more people in their organization so the land and expand approach where you charge on the number of users or um, or simply the, the amount of resources that are that are required like storage space or stuff like that um, do you see that as, as really the sticking point that, that a lot of companies need to think about and transition into this this type of value based pricing? Yeah, I think um, what's interesting is like value-based pricing on a very like simple level is basically um, pricing, like understanding where your customer sees value and how they see value and making sure you price based on that. Mm -hmm. Um, It gets into, like I was talking about, um, you know, uh, taking care of, um, you know, uh, like doing your customer research and things like that. And so I think that the, the thing I was kind of mentioning there is like the best way to kind of price because not everyone, not every customer is equal, right? Like you buy a plane ticket, you know, and you're on the plane, everyone paid a different price. Like it's very rare that ever like any, like a lot of people paid the same price, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing goes with like any type of software, consumer or B2B, right? It's like, oh, I use 10,000 widgets of your software and then the other person only uses a thousand, right? Like we got different amounts of value or um, I used a thousand of the widgets of the software, but I'm a $10 billion company versus you used a thousand and you're a $1 million company. Like the value is very, very different, right? And so I think that's that's a really, really big thing is like thinking of what is the most like unit of value of your product. And 
it doesn't have to be like uh, a tax basis, meaning like every widget, you, you know, is a penny or something like that. Um, you can bundle these together. You can, um, you know, do ranges. There's a whole host of different things that you can do, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pricing on that takes care of a lot of different things. Um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, taking care of like, you know, your growth overall, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to, I want to just discuss a little bit your own pricing strategy. And I, I think I'm sure you've been asked this question a hundred times, but the, the, the profit well metrics product, which is uh, really the, the, the flagship, um, it's, it's entirely free, free for life. Is that right? Yeah. hundred yeah. percent free. doesn't and matter. It's how not, big I mean, it, it, there's, there's no threshold above which that you start charging for that, for that product. Is that correct? Nope. Nope. Yeah. We have, uh, uh, much to our chagrin, we have a fortune 500 company that has not paid us a dime, but definitely <laughs> uses our products and has a lot of data and does cost us uh, a fair amount on a yeah, yeah. monthly basis. I, I am not going to yeah. ask you who that is, but uh, well, I won't I'm be sure, able to I'm tell sure you. That one, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that one, that one stings a little bit, but I'm just I'd really love to know how you all came to that decision. Uh, I had, I had, um, Kieran Flanagan from HubSpot on recently, and we talked about this what he called walking the tightrope, which is as a, as a SaaS company with, with a freemium offering, um, trying to figure out how many features to put in the free, in the free product versus limit so that you can eventually move people up into a paid plan. Hmm. It's, it's like walking a tightrope because if you give away too much and he used the example of Evernote, if you hmm. give away too much, you might find yourself with, with, with a huge, a huge freemium base that's just never going to upgrade and you, yeah. know, you have to keep providing them with a good product. But if you, if you provide too little, then people are going to come in and just not get value and then leave. And then you're also have, have, um, you know, shot yourself in the foot that way. So you've got to figure out the right, the right balance. How did you all arrive at, at just figuring out how much of this, how much value do we want, do we want to provide forever and for free with this metrics product? And then how do we get people to, eventually to upgrade from, from there. Um, just want to know how, how you came to that decision. Yeah, I think, um, it's interesting. I think I disagree with him actually on Evernote. Um, mainly because like Evernote, I am, I think Evernote was very like 1.0 in terms of freemium because Mm -hmm. The old freemium model was like freemium, get a bunch of users, then like make the freemium product worse and worse over time so people upgrade. Um, that's a very oversimplification of the Evernote story. But I think it I think for them they didn't they 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 never found premium enough products and then they took too long to make free less valuable. Um, I'm not a fan of making free less valuable. I think it's one of those things where um, the best content you have is your product. And so using your product, I'm actually a fan of making free more valuable than the paid competition. That's kind of how I like to think about things. But I think for us, um, the thing to keep in mind, there's like two types of free. Um, there's forever free, which is what ProfitWell is. So like you have freemium um, and then you have like adjacent add-ons like our retained product or price intelligently. And then the alternative part is um, like a faux free trial, what I like to call it. So basically what you do is if we talk about like email tracking, there's a bunch of those apps that show you if someone opened your emails. Basically with those types of apps, I can give you a hundred opens a month, right? And my the, the where I want to set that hundred is where my target customer uh, will use all hundred within 14 to 21 days. 
Um, it depends on your product if you want it to be 14 or 21 days or whatever, or another date range. But all of a sudden, if it's my target customer, they burn through it, they're clearly getting value, and then I'm prompting them to upgrade to continue to get that to more of that value, right? Now, if they're not my target customer, they either use all 100 and then don't convert, but they get another 100 the next month that I can like engage them with um, from a lifecycle perspective. Um, or they're not my target they don't use all hundred, they keep using it over time. And then maybe they grow into being my target when all of a sudden they start using a lot more of, of the actual product or a lot more of whatever that value metric is. Now, why is this important versus just using a regular free trial? Well, the reason freemium is so powerful, and I was very anti-freemium early in my career, and now I'm like one of the biggest zealots of freemium, is that um, freemium puts the onus of conversion on the customer's activity or the customer's timeline. Whereas a free trial or just a regular sales process puts the onus of conversion on some artificial timeline where your salesperson starts to give up or, oh, the 14 days, I didn't have enough time to use the product, all these types of things. And then you lose that relationship with that prospect because they go off and do whatever. And then you have to kind of reconvince them to come back. Well, the free product... I could nurture them. I own the right to nurture them, assuming they continue to use that free product over time. So when you're looking at a freemium offering, the number one thing that you should be looking at are cohorts, not first 30-day conversion. Like that's an interesting number, but you should be looking at cohorts over six, 12 months because you'll notice like, oh, they came in free and now this cohort of free users it looks like, you know, by six months, we've converted 40% of them, which would be, you know, amazing, right? Whereas in the first month, maybe we only converted, you know, 4% of them, right? Um, so that's what's so, so powerful. So for ProfitWell, to finally answer your question after that preface, um, we started noticing, okay, we're going to build this metrics product. All of a sudden, a bunch of competitors came into the space. We did some pricing research, which, you know, fortunately, we know how to do. Um, analytics are notoriously terrible products to monetize. They're extremely difficult because you know, and I know how much work goes into making that number right or moving that data from one place to another, but your customer thinks, well, it should just happen. It should just be like logging in, right? It's so easy. Like, why mm -hmm. is this so expensive, right? So the willingness to yeah. pay is typically very, very low and the retention is terrible because the people who get it, get it and they're locked in forever. But the people who don't get it, um, they, they, they churn out and then they talk shit about your product because like they didn't see the value or how much time it went in or that one time they logged in, the graph took a little bit too long to load. Like they don't understand like how terrible it is. Right. And so we were like, great, well, what do we do? Well, first option, give up, build something else. Right. Second option, do what every other analytics product does and go up market. This happens to every product. They all start out, we're going to democratize this data across the entire world or whatever. And then all of a sudden they run into what I just described and they go, oh crap, nope, we're going to sell to the Fortune 5000, right? That's just kind of how it happens, right? Mm -hmm. The third option, which you know we kind of had some inkling about, but we got some data on was, well, we can use the data in aggregate and study it and use it to train our algorithms. That's something that we can do really, really well. Um, and there's also a network effect where like you use ProfitWell, you like it um, because again, we try to make it better than the paid competition. You go tell your friend, your friend comes in, they end up paying us even if you're not. And there's just a nice little natural network effect from acquisition. And so mm -hmm. that was the thesis that we started to put together. And basically that's the thesis that we started executing on. Um, and, and, you know, that's where it's gotten us here basically today. Mm -hmm. And I, you all are at about 20,000 customers today. Is that, is that right? 
Yeah. So we have, mm-hmm. um, we, 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 we've just stopped talking about the number of users on the platform. We have about $25.5 billion of annual revenue flowing through ProfitWell. Mm-hmm. Um, and our actual customers, we have, um, I think, just under a thousand mm-hmm. um, of actual paying customers. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of how we've structured. And I think the, the, the perils of free, uh, especially being a bootstrap company free, uh, which was a terrible mistake. Um, I mean, it worked out, which is fine. But I think if we did it all over again, as soon as we knew profit was going to be free, uh, we probably should have raised money there because mm-hmm. we had to basically like not really develop our go-to-market past just survival mode because we needed to invest all of our money into like this free product because we knew the grand vision, but you know, you can't afford to hire a bunch of salespeople and hire a bunch of engineers when you're bootstrapped, um, you know, let alone, you know, meagerly funded. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think it's one of those things where we just started really aggressively going after our go to market about 15 months ago and having a free base has made it infinitely easier <laughs> to do that. And so, yeah. yeah, it's been, it's been an exciting, you know, but very hard work, you know, past, uh, um, past year, year and a half, two years, let alone with COVID and everything as well. Yeah. Let, let's, let's talk more about the, uh, the acquisition now for, for you all. So we've talked, we've talked about life cycle for your customers, but now let's talk acquisition for you. Uh, I'm, I've I've been looking at your organic traffic growth. It looks like you you got a really nice hockey stick there, and um, and then I checked out some of the, the paid search. Although my, my sources may not be too accurate, looks like you all are still pretty lean with paid search, and yep. you're experiencing a really nice wave of organic growth right now. Um, and then you, you talked about um, just the the great effects of having that big base. Uh, where you can you can also have that natural organic growth coming from that big base of people on the on the freemium metrics product. Just how do you all approach acquisition and marketing overall? As as it, you're you're relatively new to this, given the whole history of the company, um, how yeah. are you doing acquisitions now? I think what we do, um, we very much focus on. Um, like, how do I put it? Like, we very, very, very much focus on, like, um, how do we build brand while also building traffic? So we do a lot of content um, mm-hmm. and not just, um, you know, not just content from, I don't know, like, uh, you know, SEO perspective, but we do a lot of video, a lot of audio shows, these types of things. We run basically as a media strategy. We're one of the first uh, software companies to do this um, based on a bunch of research that we found. I think that everything else starts to um, basically uh, um, like support that media strategy. So at the center, we have content and then everything around that organic uh, search, uh, paid uh, partnerships, et cetera, everything around that is used to basically, you know, fight for, you know, essentially getting, you know, you know, the content to be kind of the star of the show, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, kind of how we think about it. Um, I think it's one of those things where there's like definitely, you know, some, you know, some theories that whether we're doing that right or wrong, but uh, yeah, that's kind Mm -hmm. of how, it's kind of how we think about it overall. Yeah. And since you all are still bootstrapped and you're not beholden to an investor telling you that you've got to have a CAC, uh, LTV to CAC ratio of let's say three to one, 
Do you feel that yeah. that gives you more freedom to to build the brand without this big clock ticking that you've got to you've got to deliver on some kind of quarterly growth metrics? Is that, yeah. is that what gives you more just more inspiration to become a media company, knowing that you're playing well, the long game and there's not there's not as much short term pressure? Yeah, but it's not it's not from a place of like not having to answer to someone. It's actually from a place of like not having any resources. Uh, so what just, I mean by that be, is just like, to be, yeah, to be resourceful and. and yeah. Cause you have to think through leverage, right? Like we're not, we're not doing like, uh, you know, a free product and, um, a bunch of other stuff, like just for the fun of it, we're doing this stuff because we believe and have seen that it has the most leverage, right? Like a media company, mm -hmm. The reason we started doing media and it's a very data-driven decision was because um you know seo content was or inbound marketing was becoming seo um just just they're the same and i would argue they're the same now i'm not the i, I agree biggest, yeah. yeah and then all of a sudden it was like well how do we get more leverage out of content um when we can't compete with the largest um you know seo folks basically right mm -hmm. um and so that that's when we started building audience, right? That was the, that was the basic idea. So yeah, I think it, I think it comes now not having that, um, you know, that, that, that group or that person giving us advice and things like that has definitely like, you know, been a blessing and a curse because we can kind of try some, you know, out there ideas, um, you know, but at the end of the day, like a lot of people don't realize like, and I haven't had investors, but like, you know, investors, like it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's still your company, right? And that's what's always interesting is like, I don't think investors are sitting there um, unless they have ownership and then that's their right and uh, saying like, oh, you have to do this, you can't do that. I think it's more of a, you know, we're, we're all working on this together kind of a situation, but you're mm -hmm. still the one making the decision, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And um, getting back to the, the acquisition and, and product-led growth, one of the, one of the key themes of, of product-led growth is to... Um, to observe how people are using the product in order to to inform when and how you should you should upsell them, and you've got this large large base of freemium users on metrics. Are there particular patterns of usage and at particular times, maybe early early after the acquisition or at some point, that are triggers for you all to go after to go after an upsell and put them into certain nurture sequences or even have a direct outreach from sales? Are you mm. all do you all see certain um, specific types of usage, product usage data in metrics that that set off those signals that you've it's time to upsell? I think what we notice is that we'll actually like so people hook up their financial data, right? And and although we we have to ask for permission to to look at something, we can build automated um, automated messaging and automated like CTAs inside the product that go. Hey, um, you have so many failed payments. It's you're losing this much money. If you just turn this thing on, you'll lose less money, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes like a little bit of an easier pitch for them to get on board with because they're like, "Wait, what do you mean?" Because most of the time we have to educate our users, right? So that's that's where we're able to really you know do a lot of our work. And I, I would say that there's probably a bunch of other things that we should be looking at around. Um, you know, like activity and a bunch of other stuff like that. But like, we're, we're, we're not that sophisticated yet, uh, but mm -hmm. we're, we're getting there if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think also that um, one of the, 
one of the things that we're really pushing on on the acquisition side now is paid paid media platforms like Google Ads are moving away from cookies and and now these platforms are hungry for first party data. Um, I think a lot of these signals of how people are using a freemium product or they're using a, a, a free trial product in that 14 day or 30 day period, there are a lot of things that will predict lifetime value even then. And um, that can be repackaged actually as a conversion event, an offline conversion event and, and piped back into those platforms so that they can actually bid, they can mm-hmm. bid to that, to that value as opposed to a, a blanket target acquisition. Cost. Yeah. I think what gets hard there too is like it, it takes time. And, and this is why, like, I think, you know, this is something, you know, a heck of a lot more than that, than I do about it's like, mm-hmm. it takes time to kind of develop, like, what are those triggers? And then, and then it's a mess of actually getting those triggers to, to, you know, all talk to each other. And so, yeah, yeah. It, it gets interesting, but that's, that's how you should do it. At least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's some interesting uh, SaaS companies that are now uh, building, building products specifically, not, not for the marketing side, but for the sales side where salespeople based on certain activity levels in, in a product, um, typically freemium or trial stage that would, that would set off certain triggers to salespeople that either we've got a big enterprise company that stumbled into this trial and that can be mm. pulled in from some enrichment tool, like a clear bit, or we've just got a seriously active user or they're using this set of features that, that correlates really well to high LTV and therefore, it's time to, to do a personal outreach. So th- I see a lot of t- the people now looking at this from a sales perspective, and um, but not so much from a, a marketing perspective because Google ads and, and Facebook too, Facebook ads is really, really hungry for that same data uh, because they're, yeah. they're starting to lose the cookie data and that, that's going away. Um, totally. So I was just, just, just curious. Everyone's if- freaking out. Everyone's freaking out because of the cookie data, which, yeah. I mean, this is where first party data becomes so much more expensive or so much more uh, important, right? Because yeah. um, like you can't afford not to have this data, but the, the, you know, the people who are doing it for you no longer letting you. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I don't know, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks like, oh, they're going to like, Apple's just going to come out with their own. And that's why they're, they're doing this, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. claiming it's for privacy, but really it's like, well, it's privacy, but we're going to, we're going to let anyone who advertises with us still see this, but it's, it's better mm-hmm. because we're, we're better than, you know, this other company. Right. So I know mm-hmm. it's interesting. I'm, I'm now like first party data. I think like, I don't know, like probably years ago, you'd be like, ah, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. But now first party data, it's like, it really matters at least. It's going to be, it's going to be critical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, Patrick, I I know we've got to wrap up in a minute here, but this has been great. I mean, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel could, could benefit our audience? No, not really. I think, Mm. um, you know, this, this was awesome. I always love to jam with people on this type of stuff and, obviously if uh, I can be helpful, um, you can just find me on LinkedIn or Twitter or my email address is Patrick at profitable.com and you know, mm-hmm. you can rock from there. Great. Yeah. Well, for all, all those SaaS companies listening, definitely check out profit. Well, um, I think plugging the holes in a leaky bucket is something that s- somehow it's, it's still overlooked way too much, but it's low hanging fruit. And I think you've identified it path to least resistance <laughs> is, is a great mindset to have. Um, so Patrick, thanks very much for being on. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, appreciate it. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks.
Thanks. You too. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.